pray before we look at this story together. Uh, Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for this very familiar story. Uh, we thank you for the wonderful news of Christmas, that you sent your Son into the world to be our Saviour. And so we pray that as we look at it tonight, you might help us to concentrate on understanding your word correctly. For those of us who are tired, give us energy. For those of us who might be distracted, help us to focus. But we pray that we will listen to your word and that we will want to praise the Lord Jesus because of it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, as I'm getting older, uh, I'm finding I'm getting more and more nostalgic at Christmas time. Mike mentioned this last week how he uh, uh, actually he didn't preach at 6:30 church, did he? Well, if you came to the morning, you would have heard Mike say how he's gotten into uh, listening to Christmas carols as he's got older. I'm the same. I've actually just started playing Christmas carols all the time, much to the chagrin of the rest of my family. Uh, but it's, I think there's just something comforting about the familiarity of the Christmas story. As I say that, I realise that for many of you, see, when I was a kid, this makes me sound really old, doesn't it? When I was a boy, uh, back in the day, even in the public school, you would do a nativity play every year. Did anyone do a nativity play when they were at school? You know, like in kindergarten, year one, year two, a few people, yeah, yeah. And you always wanted to be Mary or Joseph. That was, that was the thing. I remember when, uh, when my kids were at preschool, every one of them got to be Mary or Joseph, because I think the preschool sort of thought, well, the minister's kid's not going to, com- the minister's not going to complain if his kid is in the Bible story, whereas other people might complain in this day and age. But uh, back when I was at school, you would have a nativity, but only one kid got to be Joseph and only one kid got to be Mary. And so most kids had to be a shepherd because you just have a lot of shepherds. But I just have this, this memory, and I, I, I think it's true, and I think it's real, because it's so vivid. I have a memory of being the fireman in the Year 2 Nativity play. And, and there's actually a photo of me in Year 2 in fireman gear, so it must be true. And I don't know why they had a fireman. It was like a modern, postmodern take on the Nativity. I don't know. But, but for many people, even probably up until now, there's probably people now who the Christmas story is not familiar to, but for most people... The Christmas story is just really, really familiar. It's just part of our memory. We, we look on it as a constant. But in another way, when you look at it, the Christmas story is actually really unfamiliar to us in our modern world. The, the things that happen in it are just foreign to us. The idea of, of men coming from the East bearing frankincense and gold and myrrh is just sort of not in our experience. And in particular, the angels. We actually don't often think about angels in the modern world. Uh, back again when my kids were younger we often had visits from our little angels during the night but they were never bringing a word from the Lord they were just telling us they had to go to the bathroom but you, you know uh, that's the only message I got from angels but that's we have this image we even call our little kids angels you know and we have this image of angels as chubby little kids with with wings those sorts of angels and that picture of angels is just a figment of someone's imagination uh, and I think it's intentionally so. What it does is it makes the story seem more tame and makes it seem fairy tale like when in fact it's history. You see, when people meet angels in the Bible, they are real and they are frightening. They're, they're beings that live in the heavens with God and they act as God's messengers. They're sort of like the go-betweens between the heavens and earth. And the few times they're talked about, people don't say, aren't they cute? That's not the reaction of people when they meet an angel. They talk about impressive beings who shine with the glory of God and who strike fear into the heart of anyone who sees them. And so we, we last week, started on the Christmas story in Luke's Gospel. Turn there now. Uh, And you remember, it starts with two angelic appearances. 
and they're almost exactly the same as each other. So last week, the angel Gabriel comes to these, uh, these people, Zechariah and Elizabeth, Matt shared it with us last week, uh, and told them, you will have a child, even though that's outlandish because you're past the age where, where you're likely to have children. Uh, and that child was John the Baptist. And it was an amazing story. And, and if you didn't have the next story, it'd be one of the most famous stories in history. But then you get the next second angelic appearance. If you've ever been in that situation where, where you have got great news and you share it and everyone's excited for you for about five minutes until someone else comes in and they've got even better news and then you're forgotten and your excitement is just pushed. I remember, I think it was at the Olympics in Tokyo, another one we were all watching when we were in lockdown and, and there was an Australian swimmer who broke the world record in the semi-final and then that night in the final, someone beat them and broke their world record and it was like, they didn't even get a news bulletin to say they were a world record holder. They didn't even have that long before they were just old news. Well, it's a bit like that here. So you've got this wonderful story. Zechariah and Elizabeth and their promised child, then straight away, they're put in the shadow as the angel goes to give another, this time much younger woman, even greater news. So come with me, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And what I want you to do as we look at this is I want you to set aside your familiarity Many of you know this stuff already. I want you to set aside those, look at it together, and actually try and put yourself in Mary's shoes. So try and put yourself in her shoes as this glorious angel appears to her. So I've called the first part, Gabriel's shocking news, and it's from verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So this is obviously around nine months before the nativity place scene, before the, the manger and Bethlehem and all that. And Nazareth, where this happened, was a tiny, tiny little village. It's actually a, a big city in Israel today, but back then it was an insignificant town in Galilee, which was the insignificant, forgotten northern part of Judea. So here's this young virgin, Mary, probably no older than 16 or 17, perhaps even younger than that, because that was the, the age you were betrothed to be married in the ancient world. And suddenly, here's this angel standing in front of her. And you can imagine Mary's fear, and it doesn't help when the angel starts talking to her. There's this funny thing in the Bible where every angel says to people, don't be afraid. And every time the people go, I'm afraid. It never works, but they keep doing it. But anyway, look at verse 28. It says, the angel came to her and said, rejoice, favoured woman, the Lord is with you. Now, it's really, really important we understand this because this has caused problems and misunderstandings for hundreds of years. When the angel calls Mary favoured woman, or, or down, we looked at verse 30, you have found favour with God, that's not a comment that she has somehow earned this favour. It's not saying you are a special person and because you're a special person, God is, is showing you this favour. It's saying, no, 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 there's nothing inherent about you, there's nothing inherent about her, this is about God's gracious choice of her. She is favoured because God has chosen her. So the angel is saying, God has chosen to favour you. Of all the people in the world, he's chosen you by doing something amazing through you. But knowing that didn't help Mary, she's deeply troubled, she's wondering what, what's going on. It's funny, again, we have this view of the ancient world where we think they were really gullible and that, yeah, they believe in angels and stuff like that, but not us because we're all rational, modern people. Uh, or we think, oh, they had visits from angels all the time, whereas it's, it's abnormal for us. This was as common then as it is now. 
And just like today, if Mary went and told someone, I got a visit from an angel last night, they would think she was crazy. They would think there's something wrong with her. So she's deeply troubled by this. She's thinking, is this real? Is this happening to me? Is it a dream? So Gabriel explains more fully why he's come. And basically what he says is, you, Mary, are going to play a role in the coming of the most important human being who has ever lived. That's all, Mary. Don't be afraid. Let's look at what the angel said to her, verse 30. Then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Now those are pretty amazing things that he said there about this unborn child. So let me just draw out a few Uh, of the incredible things the angel is saying. Firstly, the name Jesus. Back then, names meant something. I don't know if you know what your name means, but my name means lover of horses. (laughs) I, I loathe horses. My parents had no angelic appearance to give me a name that suited me. But anyway, you will call his name Jesus because the name Jesus means God saves. They would have actually called him Joshua. That's what it is in Hebrew or Aramaic. Joshua, it means God saves. So any Joshua's here? You've got great names. You're named after Jesus. But it's straight away from the beginning of the story, it's saying, this is what this child is here to do. He is here to be God's saviour. And of course, if you read on in Luke's gospel, you would discover what that means, that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You know how Jesus says over and over again in Luke's gospel, I haven't come to, to help healthy people. I've come to help the sick. I've come to help sinners, not the righteous. And he does that ultimately at the end of the gospel by dying on a cross to pay the price, to take the condemnation of God that we deserve for our sins. That's what it means that Jesus saves. So that's why Mary had to give him the name Jesus, God saves. More than that, Mary knew her Old Testament. Mary Mary was a faithful Jew. She knew God had promised a king. As a young Jewish girl, she would have heard the scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. She would have promised, known that God promised that one day he would send a saviour king, a descendant of the great King David. She, she would have known, you know, 2 Samuel 7, for the people doing intro of the Bible, Psalm 2, Isaiah 9 that we read before. And that's what makes what the angel says in verse 32 so significant. Because here he's picking up all those Old Testament promises. Look at verse 32 again. He says, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. That title, Son of the Most High, is the title for the Messiah. It's the title for the Christ, the King who God would send, the one who would destroy all God's enemies and bring peace to the world. Now, later on, later on, we and even Mary would discover that actually there's more to that title than that. Later on, we discovered Jesus is actually God the Son, but Mary didn't know that yet. Mary, Mary's just got the Old Testament and here the angel is telling her, this baby you are going to have is the one the Old Testament promised. He's God's Messiah. He's God's King. Then Gabriel says, look there, says, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He's expanding on that same point. This is the one descended from David. This is the Saviour King. That's why it's so important. Now the Bible stresses over and over again, Jesus is descended from David. It's so important that his parents were descended from David, the King had to come from David's line. And then the angel says, he says, this king will be unlike any other king who has ever been or will ever be. Just look at verse 33. It says, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. 
We've just been reading two kings for the last, it feels like an eternity, but for the last term or so. Uh, and you know how every one of those kings, what happened to them in the end? They died and their kingdom came to an end. Some of them, it came to an end quicker than others. Every king fails at a point and falls, not this king. This king, his kingdom will last forever. The peace and the joy and the forgiveness that this king brings, first to the house of Jacob, that's the people of Israel, but then to the whole world, to all people, it will last forever. Not a hundred years, not a thousand years, but forever, into all eternity. Mary, that's the baby you're going to have. Now remember I asked you to set aside your familiarity. See, I think most of you here, other than people who've perhaps come for the first time tonight and praise God you're here, but, but most of you here know all this already, don't you? You know all these amazing things about Jesus. It's not new to you, but familiarity can make us forget how amazing it is. Familiarity can make us forget how amazing Jesus is. Jesus is God's saviour. Jesus is God's Messiah. Jesus is the King who rules forever. That is what we're celebrating at Christmas and frankly every day of the year. Well, let's move on. I've called the next part Mary's shocked response from verse 34. I've shared before how one of my favourite movies is The Castle. Uh, when I shared it here at Six City Church, I was a little disappointed. Uh, some of you came and told me I've never seen The Castle. Some of you said, my parents made me watch The Castle and I thought it was really boring. I was really hurt. But anyway, so for those of you who know the movie The Castle and for those who don't, I'll tell you about it. In the movie, the daughter gets married and she gets married to Eric Banner, not actually Eric Banner, but Eric Banner plays the character. And, and, and they go, she's the first person in her family to go overseas. They go to Thailand and, and they come back and they're raving about all these wonderful things they've seen in Thailand. What does Eric Banner say? It's the culture, Mr. Kerrigan, it's the culture. But the little brother is sitting there as they're talking about all these amazing things and all this stuff they did. And he says, what food did they give you on the plane? What movie did you get to watch on the plane? He's shocked and amazed by those things rather than the things that he should be amazed by, the wonderful things. Mary, I think, is a little bit like that kid here. Look at verse 34. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not been intimate with a man? Now, now, that is a massive question. I'm not going to explain the mechanics, but, but it's a massive question. How can I be pregnant when, when I'm a virgin? But, but it seems she hasn't grasped how incredible it is, what the angel is saying about who this child will be. That's the incredible... She should be saying, how can it be that I could, could have anything to do with the Saviour King? How, how could it be that you could choose me to have anything to do with, with this, this, this child. She's worried about the details of how it'll happen when actually the miracle is who her child will be. That is the real wonder. But still her question is a real one. How can a virgin be pregnant? And the angel graciously answers her question. Now I say graciously, do you remember last week? Remember how when the angel appeared to Zechariah and told him, you're going to be having a baby. Remember what Zechariah did? He asked a question. How did it go for him? Not very well. He was struck dumb for nine months, for the, for the duration of the, the pregnancy, as judgment for daring to question God's angel, for not believing what Gabriel had told him. So why is the angel so much nicer to Mary than Zechariah? I was really interested last week. There's always people who come and ask questions after church, who come and ask questions about uh, the, the Bible passage, that sort of thing. I reckon I had more people come and ask that question 
that I've had about just about anything. I've preached on outlandish things over the years. And I had more people come and ask me, why was the angel so mean to Zechariah, but so nice to Mary? Is he sexist? Was one person's question. <laughs> so why is he so much nicer? Well, I think it's a couple of things. Firstly, Mary's miracle is a whole nother level. So God had actually given a child to people past the age of childbearing several times through the scriptures. You can think of Abraham and Sarah. Samuel was born in this way in the Old Testament. This is not that, it's uncommon across, you know, 4,000 years of Bible history, but it's not that uncommon in the Bible. God has done this before. Whereas a virgin birth is something different again. But more than that, remember, Zechariah is an older man who is serving as a priest in God's temple. He should know his Bible well enough to know what God can do. Mary is a young girl. See, what this is, is that common principle in the Bible where God expects more of people who have been given more. And I find that pretty daunting. It's a little reminder for us who have so much access to God's word, such freedom of fellowship, such freedom to meet together week in, week out. The question of us is, what will we do with it? See, we know more than Zechariah, little alone Mary. What will we do with it? But back to the angel. He explains it to Mary. Look from verse 35. The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who is called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. She's basically saying, Mary, if God can give your cousin Elizabeth a baby, if he can make her fall pregnant in her old age, God can do anything. God can give you this child. This is the God of the universe we're talking about. So I don't know if you've ever spoken to a Muslim person about the gospel, but a really common thing uh, Muslim people object about is they will say that, that actually the Christian message is horrible because God slept with Mary and that, that's, that's beneath God. And, so, and it is. Uh, they're rightly horrified. That's not what this is saying. Uh, and you can correct a Muslim friend if they say that to you. The point here is, by his Holy Spirit, God puts a child in Mary's womb. That's what it's saying. If, see, if God can create the universe with a word, if God can create Adam from the dust of the ground, then he can bypass the normal methods and put a baby in Mary's womb. Nothing is impossible for God. And because that is how this child is formed, by the work of the Holy Spirit... Because of that, look back at verse 35, it's a key verse. Because of that, this baby is holy and will be called the Son of God. See, this child is more than a great man. Even the greatest of men are sinners. David was a sinner. Josiah was a sinner. John the Baptist was a sinner. This child is holy like God is holy. He is righteous like God is righteous. And this child is more than a great prophet That's what the other baby, John, would grow up to be, the greatest of the prophets. This child is the Son of God. And Mary's reaction is wonderful. Look at verse 38. She says, I am the Lord's slave. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. As I've said a couple of times, sadly, Mary has been turned into something she never was. If you're from a Roman Catholic background or you know people from a Roman Catholic background, you'll know that often Mary is worshipped. Mary is not sinless. Mary is not a perpetual virgin. She, she, she goes on to have other children. Jesus has brothers and sisters. The, the Bible is so clear on that, I don't know how anyone can disagree with it. Uh, it's a horrible blasphemy 
to make statues of Mary, to pray to Mary, to do those sort of things. But often in reacting against those abuses, we fail to see the good example that Mary is. Don't lose sight of what she is. She is a wonderful example of faith. That's what she is. She's worthy of following, but as an example. She hears the word of God and she believes it. And then she offers herself to be a slave of her Lord. See, that is what it is to be a Christian, isn't it? Mary, in many ways, is modelling to us what it is to be a Christian, to hear the word of God about his son, our Lord Jesus, and then to believe it, and then to offer our lives in his service, to say, I am a slave of Christ. Just because Mary isn't what people have falsely made her out to be, doesn't mean she isn't a wonderful example to us. Well, let's get to the final part of our story for today. I've called it Responding to Jesus from verse 39. So the angel has told Mary that her cousin Elizabeth is six months pregnant. I think this is the first time Mary hears that news. Uh, They didn't have social media back then. They lived on the opposite sides of the country. She wouldn't have naturally heard. So she straight away heads off to visit her cousin. When she gets there, though, we're given just, I think, one of those wonderful little moments you get in the Gospels. Look at verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt inside her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, You are the most blessed of women, and your child will be blessed. Isn't this a great moment? It's just a wonderful moment. In last week's passage, Zechariah and Elizabeth were told, Your baby will have the Holy Spirit in the womb. It's actually an amazing thing. Normal prophets, right through the Old Testament, were were given the, the Holy Spirit at the point they were empowered to go out and do their work. They say, No, 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 no. Your baby will have the Holy Spirit from within the womb. And you see, what we're seeing here is the Holy Spirit recognises Jesus. It's not John that recognises Jesus, it's the Spirit within him. It's the Holy Spirit that recognises Jesus. At this point, both the baby John and Elizabeth are prophets. The Holy Spirit enables them to recognise the truth about Mary and the baby in her that no one has told them. Just by the by... This is one of those spots where the Bible shows that an unborn child is a person. That an unborn child is to be loved and to be cherished and to be protected. The baby in that womb did not have the potential to be John. The baby in that womb was John. It's one of those points where the Bible is so clear, but that's an aside. The point is, remember who this child is. He is John the Baptist. His parents have been told... You are about to have the greatest kid in the history of the world. In fact, the greatest of the prophets. They've been told, this this is the one who will turn Israel back to God, do what Elijah couldn't do, what, what Elisha couldn't do, what Isaiah couldn't do. That's how great he is. But he leaps for joy in the presence of the one who is greater than him. It's just a foretaste of what John will do when he grows up. You know, you know the rest of the story? You know how, how John is there baptizing people and then Jesus appears on the scene. What does John do? He says, follow him, not me. He says, I've got to get out of the way because one who I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals is here now. And that's what John does. Even the greatest man who ever lived bows to Jesus. And Elizabeth recognises the same thing. You see, she's much older than Mary. Mary really should have come and served Elizabeth. But she recognised, no, 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 you're more blessed than me because the baby you carry is more blessed than my baby. As we close... We're given these wonderful little moments in the story for a reason. Firstly, we're given them because they happened, because it's history. That's the first reason. But secondly, 
They're here because they show us the right reaction to Jesus. When you meet Jesus, the right response is to believe in him, first of all, to trust him, but then it is to leap for joy. That's the right reaction to Jesus, to leap for joy because he is the son of God. He is the savior of the world. See, what's the application for today? What I want you to walk out of church tonight and do, really simple, just praise God for Jesus. That's the application. Praise God for Jesus. Be amazed that God has sent his son into the world to be your savior. Don't let your familiarity with that news, don't let that familiarity just take away your joy in knowing Jesus. That's the point. Praise God for Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful story, for the wonderful truth that you sent your son into the world to be Jesus, to be God saves. And so, Father, we pray that our familiarity with the story will not mean we take it for granted, but instead we will be stuck, struck anew with that wonderful joy that comes from knowing that we know the Saviour of the world. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.